legit. Did you hear that? <laughs> Jesus is legit. I don't know if you noticed that on the video, it said Jesus is legit. Uh, my name is Anthony. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the ministers here in the church. And um, just want to welcome everyone again. I, it's probably like the third time you've been welcomed, but I want to welcome you, especially if it's your first time out. Um, you know, thank you for coming out to church. And we just want to make you feel welcome. Uh, we are a family. Um, our vision as a church, we've been saying this uh, for a while now. Our, our vision is to, to love God, to live change, and, and to light the way. And I wasn't really going to share this, but um, this means a lot to my family and me. You know, for, for about three and a half years, uh, my wife and I, we've been through this process of adopting a child. And some of you know him. His name's Ryan. He has a big head of hair, walks around. And um, this last Thursday, we finally signed the papers for the adoption. And... Trying not to get emotion, I got a message to talk about. Um, but, you know, so November 17th, we go to the courts and it'll be signed, sealed, and delivered. Done. And, you know, as much as I want to project this, love God, live change, light the way, it's been projected to us and our family. We love this family, just like Miguel was saying. Um, it's changed our lives and it's changed my family life. And, and and if you're new here, I want you, you know, we encourage you to experience that. We, we want to let people know we love God. We want to live change, and we want to light the way, not just in our lives, but in others. Amen? Amen? Well, we're in a series right now called Jesus Is. And, you know, if, if you go around and ask 10 random people, who, who, you know, who, who is Jesus? What is he all about? There, there's a good chance you'll hear di 10 different answers. You know, 10 different things. You might hear that Jesus is a prophet. He, he's a, a good man. He, he, he's a teacher. Or, or he's, he, he's uh, you know, the son of man. Is this distracting? Let me see. What's going on here? So I got to work it down a little bit. Pull it down. There we go. Tip. There we go. Can you get better? Okay. So you might hear that Jesus it, you know, some of you might hear that Jesus is um, a fairy tale. He's just some religion that's made up. And so we're in a series right now. Okay, this is distracting, huh? There we go. We're in a series right now where we're exploring and investigating what Jesus is. We've been doing it for the last two weeks, and we're, and we're continuing this series. You know, what is Jesus all about? What makes Jesus Jesus? And so, you know, I, um, I wanted to share this. Three years ago, I was doing, uh, doing kind of a study, like, how, you know, about churches and how do they get people to come through the door? Like, what are some of the things to get people excited is to come to church? Or, and so I was reading this article uh, about, you know, this one church uh, during Easter. If you, if you come and show up, they actually will give out a free car. No joke. Like, you come to church on Easter, you can register to get a free car. You just write down your name, you put an offering basket, and they, they give out, like, cars and, like, like, iPads and scooters and bikes and stuff like that. We do, like, a raffle for, like, special mission. This is, hey, you come to church, you can walk out with a car. I mean, it's crazy. And so there's this implication that, you know, you want to make church good. You, you want to make church exciting and, and, 
kind of remove all the barriers and make it as, as attractive as possible just for people to show up. But there's also this impulse that it can be destructive, right? Like there's underlining presence that Jesus himself isn't enough. You know, that the Bible in itself isn't attractive enough. And so you got to put like all this polish on it and kind of remove all the edges. And we're seized to be amazed by God, so we got to be entertained for a while. And so one of the amazing things that, about Jesus or about the Gospels is that Jesus never begged, he, he never bribed, and he never overpromised. There's this temptation today, hey, come to church and, 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 or come to Jesus and you'll be well. Come to church and you can win like a free set of steak knives. You know, come to, come to Jesus and he'll heal you of everything. And then we make these incredible promises, but Jesus never did any of that. Imagine if you had a daughter, just hypothetically speaking, you had a 24-year-old daughter, okay? Some of you already have that, but let's say future dads, future moms. Hypothetically, you had a 24-year-old daughter, and she's been dating this guy for about three years. And this guy goes up to her, been, he said, you know, I've been, we've been dating for three years, and um, I think we need to take a break in our relationship because I have this image of what I want my uh, wife to be, and you're not it. And so I just need to take a break and go find this image or maybe see if we need to get married. Like, I, don't, I, I need to figure that out. Imagine your daughter hears this. Dads, what would you say? Would you say, okay, well, just, you know, hold on and hope he, you know, he chooses you. Pray about it. Would you say that, dads? Moms, would you say that? No. You'd be like, let me make it easier for you, right? You're, you're, you're worth way more than that. And so there's a sense that you get this from Jesus, that he's saying the same thing to people who are just like oblivious about what it means to worship God because he never bribed, he never pleaded with anybody. You guys with me? Luke chapter 19, I, I love this because Jesus was remarkably free of care, you know, not caring what people thought about him. And it says this in Luke chapter 19, it says, when they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had. So they're praising Jesus. And they're saying this, they're saying, blessed on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heavens. It says, but the, some of the Pharisees, the, you know, the religious teachers of those days, kind of the religious gurus among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying just things like that. Like, the Pharisees were like, you know, you need to, you know, stop your followers. They're, they're being unseemly. They're not being properly reverent. And, and I love what Jesus says. He says, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst out in cheers. I mean, does this strike you as a God who's lonely? A God who's desperate for people to worship him? Like he's depressed because you didn't spend your time with him this morning? I mean, there's this segment in Christianity where we're, where we're seized to be astonished by God, and so we need all this kind of spit and polish to kind of make him amazing again. And so I just think that Jesus would say to those of us, and this, this runs right down my heart, he would say to those of, the, uh, uh, those of us, if you got better things to do, go do it. Seriously. 
it's good. I, I, I got rocks praising me, you know? It's like, it's like Malachi uh, 1. If you read the book of Malachi, it's amazing. God, you know, he's, he, these, these people are bringing these crummy offerings to God, these, these form offerings to God. And he's just like, I'm just going to shut the temple completely. Like, I don't need this. And I love it. In verse 11, he says, my name will may be made great among the nation. It's like he just says it. It's, my name will be made great. Like, he's not begging. He's not pleading with us, you know? Like, we should be the one pleading to consider just a privilege just to worship God. And so I just think it, just, it totally shames me, and this is, this is me speaking personally to me. This shames me to know that in, in remote places in the world, people are worshiping God in the threat of death. Without air conditioning, without comfortable seats. And so there's this sense that Jesus is, is, is saying that if, if he ain't looking for a lot of people who just got a lot of stuff going on. And so what I want to look at this morning is just a series of, of episodes where, where, where Jesus, where people encounter Jesus, and there's this, this, this clear, passionate clarity that they would do anything just to be near him. They would do anything just to, just to touch him. They would do anything just for Jesus to hear them. So we're going to look at Luke 18, and some of these verses we're familiar with. Some of us maybe aren't. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what's happening? They, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. It says, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, interesting, it says, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You know, it's... It, Kind of this is the map right here. Here's Jerusalem down here, if you can see it. Here's this road that they would take to Jericho. And it was a long traveled road, and it was a very dangerous road. And so, you know, rich folks had their summer homes in Jericho. Peter talked about it last week. You know, they had pools and nice homes. And so they would travel this road right here, and it was a dangerous road, so they would travel with large groups, these rich people, and... For safety. But this was like a, a good road to start begging, you know? And so this guy, he, he has nothing going on for him. And so the theology of that day was if, if you're blind and, and, or, or had leprosy, it, 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 um, it was because you deserved it. It was either because of the, the sins of your, your parents or it was the sins of yourself and you were getting what you deserved. I mean, that's what they thought. And so this, this man has nothing going on for him. All he can do is say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And these folks just tell him to shut up. And I love what he does here. It says, he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, and it says that Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. And if you finish the story, he heals the man. I, I, have you ever been around like desperate, messy people? I know we're messy and desperate, you know. 
But have you ever been like around someone who is maybe recovering from an addiction, an attic? They're not really polished. Maybe the reason that they're on that path is because they're trying to be polished or trying to be put together. I don't know. I, I have a nephew who, who's in rehab right now. He's in his 20s. So younger 20s. And he had the option either five years in prison or rehab. And uh, he's been in there for a year. <clears throat> and, um, you know, this last Thursday, he called my brother, which is his father, and he's like, you know, I, I, we need to talk. You know, they, they drove him to talk to my brother. And uh, my brother's like, he looks so much different. He's changed so much. And he's going through this 12-step program where part of this 12-step is reconciliation. And so he wanted to talk to his dad. And he's just like, I, I got to be like ruthlessly honest about where I'm at if, in order to deal with it. And he's like, I, you know, he, he can leave now. He's been there for the year. He was required by the courts. But he's like, I'm going to stay another year. Like, I do. You know? Like, sometimes messy people don't have it all put together. Right? Are, are they, do the messy people, are they schooled in the proper, like, religiousness? Sometimes they're not. And so when Jesus comes across someone like this, he absolutely loves it. I mean, his whole entourage is like, like be quiet, and he's just shouting all the more louder. Do, do desperate people care what other people think? I mean, do desperate people, do they care about the, the religious authorities? No. This guy was like, I I'll do anything to get near him. I'll do anything just to, just to get his attention. I mean, you, you look through the Bible and you see, like, these stories of, like, this, these guys, like, you know, lowering, four friends lowering the, their friend down just to be, you know, they open a roof to lower their friend down just to be next to Jesus. You see, like, this, this notorious woman, this, this notorious sinful woman who, who interrupts a dinner party just to wipe her hair with Jesus' feet. And when Jesus comes across people like this, he absolutely loves it. This passionate clarity of who he is. And he blesses them. But if, it, if he comes across people who are like, hey, just take it or leave it, he's like, okay, leave it then. Because this movement, it isn't about just dipping your toes into it's not for, like, the faint of heart. It's not for just half-hearted steps or people. Let's look at another example. And what, I, what we're, I'm trying to get across is that Jesus never begged, he never bribed, he never overpromised. And I just want to remind us that the, the, what, the clarity that he values when it comes through desperation, when it comes through conviction, when it comes through passion... Luke 5, 12, it says, when Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. So it wasn't like his arm. He was covered in leprosy. I actually was going to show a picture of what leprosy is, but Peter's like, nah, that's pretty, pretty graphic. But leprosy, it was, it was an awful disease. It's an awful disease. And what happens, your primary is you would lose your, your nerves, your primary nerves, and so your extremities, like your fingers, would like go inward. And so if you cut yourself, like you wouldn't know it because you don't have any nerves. And so you would get infected and would just ooze and just, it just, you know, bleed. And it was just horrifying. Alongside the disease itself was the social segment that came along with it. If you know your New Testament, that people who had leprosy were just cast aside. 
You were removed from your marriage. You were removed from your, your children. You were removed from your life in the village. Some were traded. Some were, were put into a colony of their own. I mean, you, no one would want to touch you because it was thought that if you touched someone, it was communicable, you would be infected. You would be infected. And so if you were someone who was known who wanted to be clean before God, if you, if you touched someone who had leprosy, you would be infected and you couldn't worship God. And so what would happen is that lepers would have to walk around and, and as they approached, they would have to announce themselves. They had to say, unclean, unclean. So people would move out of the way, like 100 feet. And people would throw rocks at you. They would spit at you. They, you, you were untouchable, unredeemable, unforgivable. I mean, just cast out completely. And so notice what this man does. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground, and he begged him. Now, I don't know about you. When I talk to Jesus, begging isn't like the word I use. It's more like ordering from a menu, you know? Like Jesus, you know, can you give me like a double portion of peace? You know, hold the suffering, please. Bless me. Can you, can you, you know, hold the trials and give me a triple portion of joy, right? Am I the only one? But begging, face down, I mean, these aren't cultural values that we have. But when Jesus comes across someone like this, so broken, he loves it. And says that, he says, Lord, if you're willing, if you are willing can you make me clean? He, said, he doesn't say heal me. He says make me clean. Restore my standing in the community so I can serve, so I can worship, so I can participate in my family life. And it says Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He touched him. Now, in English, we read this and we're like, oh, great, he touched him. It's a great, like, Bible lesson to give to someone or, you know, tell our kid, kids and keep them kids. Like, you don't understand what touching meant. Like, you just don't do that. Like, if anybody remembers, like, the 80s, grew up in the 80s, when, like, AIDS and HIV hit the scene, remember? It was, like, this mass confusion. Like, okay, how, how was this transmitted? Like, what, what, what's going on? Like, how can I get? Those are the people that Jesus touched. The misfits, the forms, the... The, the cast outs. And, and it's, just, it's just amazing. You see, like, we, we know that Jesus could, can heal from far off. If you read the Bible. He can heal from far off. He can calm a storm just with a word. He can rebuke a fever. So he could have commanded the, this leprosy to come out of the man, but he touched him. And so it meant that the touching was intentional. And so what the touching meant is that Jesus' goodness and cleanliness and his, his holiness is stronger than anything that is unclean. Because religion tells you, hey, you got to clean yourself up first, and then you come to Jesus. And Jesus tells you, no, I'm the one who cleans you. Peter talked about this two weeks ago. I'm the one who's the one who, who's going to clean you and restore you. I mean... It says, Jesus says, I am willing. And he said, be clean. And immediately the, the leprosy 
left them. What Jesus is saying is, he's like, I, I'm worthy of all this. I touch the untouchable. I redeem the unredeemable. I forgive the unforgivable. But when he approaches people who have other options, it's like, well, okay. Look at Luke 9. Here are some folks who have, who have, have other options, and it blows my mind what Jesus does here. It says in Luke 9, verse 57, it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if I'm Jesus, and, and that's a dangerous game to play, I'm not Jesus, but I would be like, great, that's awesome. High five, like sign up, just join the team. It's great. You know? But look what Jesus says. He says, Jesus replied, Fox have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Except that rather than him saying, hey, let's join the team, he says, yeah, I don't think you really know what you're getting into. Let me, let me clarify it for you. Here's another one. This is Jesus. He said to another man, follow me. Now, we know Jesus tells people to follow him. He's told people to drop their nets to follow him. But he replied, this man replied, Lord. He says, Lord, like he understands that he's Jesus. First, let me go and bury my father. Now, if it's me, I'm like, of course. <laughs> of course, go bury your father. Like, I'll come to the funeral. Take some time off. But look what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead. Dang. <laughs> but go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this story, it sounds like this guy's dad just died, and like the funeral's tomorrow, and Jesus is like, ah, you, you can't go. You need to follow me. But you have to understand the background behind this. See, because it, what was really going on, a Jewish burial would take a year-long process. And so what happened is that your body would decompose, you know, it, they, you're, they would put your body in a tomb, and, and it would decompose, and it would take a year-long process, and they would, they, they would take your bones, and they would put it in a, in a bone box called an ossuary. And so from there, once that's done, then they would have a ceremony, and they would put you in your, with your ancestors. And so, okay, let, let me go bury my father. Is, I, I need to take this year-long process for my family obligation. And Jesus says, you know what? And he'll say it directly in other places. If you got more important things to do, then go bury your father. Go ahead. Like he'll say it in other places. If, if, if anyone who, who loves his, his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his, 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 even his own life more than me, is not worthy of following me. And all what Jesus is saying, if, if you have a 24-year-old daughter and then some guy in her life is like, well, I'm going to choose you, or I'm going to choose, I think, maybe someone else. You know exactly how you would handle that. How much does Jesus come into this earth and say, look, I got rocks that praise me. I ain't begging here. You know? I mean, does Jesus love everybody? Of course. Does he pursue everybody? He does. I mean, and we love that Jesus. But when he comes across people who are like, hey, you know, you know, I got better things to do. My heart's not really into it. He's like, okay, go bury your father then. Here's another one. He says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. Again, he recognizes he's Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Again, if it's me, yeah, of course. Say goodbye to your family. Tell them I'm going to take care of you. But look what Jesus says. He says, 
Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the service of kingdom of God. I mean, I mean, if you know plows, you know, you have a plow and you're plowing it and, and let's say you're plowing ox and I put my hand in and I'm just looking back, what's going to happen? It's not going to be good, right? I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, no one who, who drives backwards on the 10 freeway is like fit for driving, Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And so we started saying that, you know, a lot of times there's this sense where we have to, like, feel this pressure to jazz Jesus up. And part of that's okay. Don't get me wrong. Today's worship was amazing. It was awesome. But there's a part, it, 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 it can be dangerous if you're just obsessed with this jazzing Jesus up. And so what is interesting is, that when you look at the ministry of, ministry of Jesus, when he comes across people who, who, who just have other options, he's just like, okay. Like he, I'm not going to read this because we don't, have too much, we don't have that much time, but, you know, in, in Mark 10, he comes across this rich young ruler who just wants to hold on to his money. And if it was me, I'm like, man, this guy's sharp. Like, he would be great. I mean, great potential here. And it says that, Jesus, the first thing it says, Jesus loved him, but he let him go. He let him go. But when he comes across people who have this ruthless clarity that they know that there's nothing better than him, what does he say to them? I am willing. Be clean. What do you want me to do for you? And so I just wonder how much of our of our of our church properness is a way that we hide from God? How, how much of, uh, of our American Christianity is a way that keeps us from, from, from being so desperate for God? Like, are we willing to, 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 to let God bring us time and time and time again to, to a place where we recognize that he's the most important thing? That Jesus is the point. What, what's the reward of following Jesus? What's the reward of following Jesus? Jesus. Jesus is the reward of following Jesus. Jesus is the point. Until you're convinced of that, then you'll use Jesus for other things. And discipleship and Christianity just won't work for you. I mean, if you think that, you know, the reward of following Jesus is dating. I know we have some teenagers here. And I know some, our, our campus is actually at a retreat right now. But we have some, you know, singles here. If you think the reward of following Jesus is dating and getting married, you got a rude awakening. Talk to our people who are married, right? I mean, if you think the reward of following Jesus, and I appreciate Laura standing up here and just being open about her heart, because there was this realization where, like, I have to realize it's about Jesus, because I'm chasing all these other things, and I'm trying to live this Christian life, but if it's not about him, it's just not going to work. If you think the reward of following Jesus, and I know some of us won't say this, but we think this, some of us think that the reward of following Jesus is something other than Jesus. And then when suffering comes our way, what's, what's our implication? It's like, Laura, why are you doing this? You know? You owe me. 
You know, I'm doing all this stuff for you. I mean, Jesus, he blesses us. He does. But unless you're in it for him, something's going to come along the way and it's going to wreck your faith. And so there's this purity in place that you come and you recognize that, hey, I got nothing. Just have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I'll end it with this, this verse right here. Parable of the hidden treasure. I love this, this parable right here. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in joy, he went out and sold all he had and bought a field. So the story is back then, they didn't have like ATM machines and like 401ks and like safety deposit boxes. And so what would happen in the first century that you would, you would either have a safe and you have a guard watching your safe with your, you know, treasure or you would go and bury it in a field. And because the death rate was so high, the mortality rate was so high, is that people would die without really telling anybody where they buried something. There wasn't like an X marks a spot. And so it was a very common story that someone, you know, someone would be working on a field and, and they, they you know, find a box of treasure. And they recognize it was such great value, like the, the scripture says, that with joy they would sell everything they have just to have that treasure. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He says, this is what following me should look like. That you come across him and you realize, you know, there's nothing better than him. And with great joy, I, I, I'll do anything. I'll sell anything I'll just, to, just to have him in my life. I'll give up anything just to have Jesus. But if we're honest... We think there's, there's, there's tre- treasure elsewhere, don't we? If it's, a, if, if it's a successful life or if it's, you know, a good life, just being happy, whatever your definition is, we're still convinced that there's treasure elsewhere. And Jesus is saying, he says, I'm the treasure. I'm the reward. I'm the point. And so this morning, I just want to remind us, this is what he's looking for. And what kind of sort of a community do we want to be? Is that we're reminded over and over and over again that Jesus, following Jesus, is the reward. He's the point. And for us to to keep pursuing that, for us to... To, to, to keep recognizing that. I, I don't know how this hits you. I mean, maybe some of you are like, you know, um, I've, I don't see Jesus as the point or the reward or the treasure. Maybe you're, maybe you're in that spot. Maybe if you're like me, you know, sometimes I'm like, God... I don't see you there, but I need to get there and help me get there. You know, because I, I can get so distracted but, and so caught up in things, but please help me to be desperate for you. Help my heart to be desperate for you, God. Help me to see that you're the point and that what matters. Maybe some of you are desperate right now. I want to encourage you that God works his best in those moments. 
And so I, I just want to leave you with these two thoughts. You know, when you're having lunch today and talking to someone, or maybe when you're praying, or maybe just by yourself just thinking. Just to think, what else do you treasure other than Jesus? And this is be honest, we all have a list. What else do I treasure other than Jesus? And how can I focus on seeing Jesus as a reward? You know, how can I see, where areas in, I, areas in my life that I can focus to see Jesus as a reward, as the point? Because when you walked in here today in church, it's about Jesus. It should be about Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you and just, I just want us to help us recognize you and see that you're the point of our lives, that we're here for you. And help us, if our hearts are not there, help us to, to get to a place where we can get there, God. Please open our hearts, open our minds to see that you are re- the reward. The world is nothing that can offer There's nothing the world can offer, God. I just pray that we can see the value of who you are. Your scripture said that your name is glorified in all the nations. I pray that your name is glorified in our hearts. And so please help us to see you. Help us to reflect on you. Even as uh, uh, the week starts off and it can get so caught up, Father. Please help us to see that you're the reward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.